Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. We are back after a gap, and you know what that means, especially when we are in the middle of the F1 season. What does that mean? Okay, Lewis, we're going to go strap mode three. Strap mode three, we need to pull a gap. We need to pull a gap. Don't ask questions, just execute. I thought you were going to go for it's, you know, we've got to put the hammer down. Well, that w- w- we're doing strap mode three. It, it, oh, it's well, not I'm... hammer time yet. It's not hammer time, but yeah. just strap mode three, not strap mode five. No, what well, five five is to take the strain off that, or at least it was at one time that you know they change them around to take the strain off the engine so that we don't blow it up and we don't run out of engines before the end of the season. Because in a podcast, that would be really embarrassing. <laughs> Truthfully, just saying. Truthfully, all but, right. Strap mode three. We're putting the hammer down. Before we get to Formula One. Before we get to Fantasy GP and all the other stuff, we have to point out that last weekend, while you were gone, in that gap between Azerbaijan and, well, if you read the paint on the side of the pit lane, the Spanish Grand Prix. <laughs> I really like the Spanish Grand Prix. The worst part about it was that you didn't see it. Well, it was upside down in the picture that you sent me, and I am slightly dyslexic, so it does not register sometimes. If you have not seen the picture, there's a picture floating around. You know, they do the markings outside the uh, the, the pit lane, the pit garages uh, for the Grand Prix now, the black paint with the hashtag for whatever Grand Prix they're at, and for some reason, whoever painted it this, this week for the FIA, instead of putting the Spanish Grand Prix, initially painted it as the spanish grand prix it has been fixed we have been told yes but yeah. but i understand like it was right in most of the places that they painted it but it was one particular place oh. so like <laughs> they had to correct one of them but it is repeated multiple times yeah and apparently they got it right on most of them so maybe it was an intern that did the spanish grand prix maybe but before we get to that last weekend was the inaugural race of the 2018 World Endurance Championship Super Season. They're calling it the Super Season because it doesn't technically end until next year. Oh, okay. That's what happens when you start losing races and you're trying to, you know, remind people that we're we're still here. This is the same series that does not have uh, winter testing, but they have the prelude. Yes, the, the prelude. Yes. Um, well, it was the first race kicked off with the six hours of spa. Which Fernando takes six hours. Yeah, I know. We were all amazed by that one. <laughs> wow, it really is a six-hour race. Okay. Um, <laughs> Fernando Alonso had his, it was his debut WEC race, and he won. Not only did he win, no, his team won. Well, but he gets credited for a win as well as part of the drive. Yes, his car won that the, um, he and his, his three team members were in. But not only was this a win for him, this is Fernando Alonso's first ever win in any series he has ever competed in at Spa. He has never won at Spa before. Oh, wow. And from a Formula One perspective... This is his, well, just in terms of his overall career, this is his first win in a top-level motorsport championship since 2013. Whoa. And I say it that way because, you know, he does own his own go-kart track, and I'm sure he's raced there and probably won't, but it may not have been a sanctioned series. But his first win in a top-tier motorsport series since 2013. So 
thinking about Fernando Alonso, it makes me really, I was listening to Five Live this week. I've been mm-hmm. reading some articles about him doing this crossover. It's going to be an exhausting season for yeah. him. Um, and he's not a young chicken either. Mm-hmm. But so a lot of people are talking about that Fernando is really looking towards his legacy. And it always makes me think about the last like six months of a presidential uh, experience because that's what they tend to they everybody talks about well this is all for their legacy this is for their legacy and it seems like that is what fernando is really focusing on is you know he's he's hit a spot for as admittedly and everybody seems to think that he's this amazing driver and he's awesome he's only won two world championships mm-hmm. to hamilton and vettel's four i mean he's won only one more than Kimi Raikkonen and I mean other people But you're out still there. a double world champion. That that's still a big it, it, It's a big deal. But the big issue but is But it's not as big a deal as people think that he should have achieved. Yes, exactly. Now, you and I, because we're in the know, believe that some of the reasons why Fernando does not have the third and the fourth world championship because he's Fernando. Because he makes Fernando decisions. Now, as great as this win is, just need to kind of put things a little in perspective here because there's some things you should know about his win. It doesn't take away from the fact that he won the race, his team won the race. And by the way, his fellow drivers in the car was Sebastian Buemi and Kazuki Nakajima. We hear a lot about Buemi, don't we? Yeah, his name pops up quite a bit. Um, But uh, their car was in pole not because... They got pole in qualifying, but actually because their teammate's entry was stripped of its qualifying times and given a one-lap penalty for running with an incorrect uh, fuel flow meter. Toyota said the mistake was due to a, quote, administrative error Mm. and did not give the car a performance advantage. So already, you know, they started up at the front because of this. Um, In addition to that, though, as the cars were winding down towards the end of the race there were some team orders in play oh to make sure kind of so you you could read into this if you wanted to and say that toyota was trying to stack the deck for alonzo because the team orders that came into play is that, that the cars were and and it, according to toyota this was discussed prior to the race this is not something that in the race they decide that they were going to put down but according to Toyota, the, the agreement was the policy, the, the plan, the race plan was that the cars, both cars were free to race each other up until the last pit stop. After the last pit stop, they were to hold position and not fight each other ah. with the idea of at that point, you cannot recover if they screw something up. So they do say, or Toyota specifically says that, um, this applied to both cars. It didn't matter who was going to be in the lead. Um, it was Anthony Davidson and, uh, or excuse me, Mike Conway w- was in that car. And I don't, I don't have the list of who the other drivers were in the other car. Ah, here so, we go. Mike Conway, Kamui Kobayashi, and Jose Mario Lopez. Well, that just seals it. It's because of Kamui? I am pissed off because of Kamui. Kamui got screwed. <laughs> But Toyota says that the number seven car driven by uh, Conway, Kobayashi, and Lopez, um, 
they would have been given the exact same privilege if they were in the lead come that final pit stop. So it wasn't really what we consider team orders where somebody gave way at the end of the race um, right. to allow one person, like the time that... It, it was multi-21. It was multi-21. Multi-21, Seb, multi-21. Except that um, in this case, it was, a ma- it was a deal that said the first person that comes into that pit stop, the person that's in a lead for that pit stop, it that's the way it needs to end the race. And I get that idea because you're right. After that last pit stop, you don't have a chance to recover if you screw it up. So congratulations to Fernando. Um, You know, without a whole lot of manufacturer competition, you know, other than your other team. Uh, you did well. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. <laughs> no one ever will put an asterisk on this win, Fernando, that says <laughs> because you had absolutely no credible competition, but you still won. <laughs> so let's turn our attention over to Formula One. And before we get to anything, of course, we need to have the recap of the Fantasy GP standings coming out of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. An incident-filled Azerbaijan Grand Prix shook things up on the track and in the league as Avro overall moves up to first place. In the last race, though, Phil's Team Rocket won the week with 127 points. The boys' Moonlit Black Cats team was second with 126 points. Agro's Puppet Racing was third with 121 points. Patricia's The Bird team was fourth with 97 points. Michael was fifth with 80 points. And Richard's Fly Fast team was sixth with 75 points. In the overall league standings, Agro's Puppet Racing takes the lead with 539 points. Patricia's The Bird team moves up to second with 505 points. Michael's Mach 5 Racing Team moves back to third with 502 points. Phil's Team Rocket hangs on to fourth at 499 points. The boys' Moonlit Black Cats team is fifth with 434 points. And Richard's Team Fly Fast with sixth with 316 points. Even though you've missed several races, you can still go head-to-head against us on a week-by-week basis with your predictions by going to fantasygp.com and entering the league code of 148. 31491. I'm seeing a trend. Okay. I'm seeing you and I trading spaces well, each time. I mean, like we have flipped back and <laughs> forth the last couple of races. So naturally, team orders are going to come into play, right? Oh, is that it? <laughs> <laughs> you do the- realize that you need to be living this whole moniker of happy wife, happy life. <laughs> uh-huh. Actually, the thing that struck me most, and, and I wasn't really expecting this, is that top three, top four grouping the points are really close. They really are. I mean, overall, and, and I kind of expected that there would be some spread and still really close. Yeah, but aggro is kicking our butts. I mean, come on. Yeah. Now, I will say this. He's got a few years of Formula One fanship on us. True. True. Okay, so turning to the race. A few um, things happened in Baku, huh? It did. Where we're actually going to start with is the Red Bulls over on the naughty step. 
You know, that was the title of the Five Live podcast this week, which I think is further proof and confirmation that Five Live listens to the bloke and the bird. Because how many times have we talked about the naughty step before they've ever come up with the naughty step? It's possible. The only reason why I think that might not be true. The only reason. Only like, there's reason. only one of them. Only reason. The, the, the possibly most definitive reason why I think that might not be true. We have yet to get a C&D from the BBC. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I should probably check my spam box before we yeah. say we've never gotten a C&D. Um, <laughs> but... You know, how many times did we talk about that, uh, you know, Mercedes added space on the naughty step for both Lewis and Nico? Yeah, both the Red Bulls ended up on the naughty step this week. Now, I think it's very interesting. I mean, what a crash, first and foremost. What a serious crash. Um, I think it was very interesting because I honestly believe that Red Bull and Christian Horner, who was livid... Um, sent both of those boys go, you two, up to the stewards right now. You both admit fault. You both own this thing. Don't you dare get me penalty points in the next race. Well, what Christian had to say, he said, both drivers expressed regret about their respective contributions to the incident. We have let them race hard against each other, and unfortunately it has resulted in a worst possible scenario with both making contact. It is enormously disappointing. There is no blame apportioned to one more than the other. They are both equally responsible. What is annoying is that we have given away an awful lot of points, and both drivers will be apologizing to all the members of staff. The important thing is to learn from it and do our best to make sure we avoid it in the future because we want to allow the drivers to race. Okay, I think that the first part of that sh statement is a direct copy of Toto Wolf's statement when <laughs> Nico and Lewis took each other out in Barcelona in a Barcelona a couple of years ago. Yeah. I mean like a carbon copy. I, I just, you know, he says that, that the drivers were going to apologize to all the members of staff. I, I could just, even though I know this is not how they did it, I could just see the two of them being locked into a conference room with a stack of sympathy cards <laughs> and being told, you are, neither one of you are leaving this room until you have filled out a card for every single member of this team. No, 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 no. I see it as Yas Verstappen taking Max by the ear and walking him through the factory and going, Max, Max. Max, do you have something to say for yourself? <laughs> Actually, either that or it, it, it's kind of like the, the receiving line at, at the end of the church service. <laughs> one is standing on one side of the employee entrance door. The other standing on the other side of the employee. And as the employee is badging. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. I mean, there's a, a. In fact, we should invite our listeners to come up with their own way of how Max and and Daniel apologized to everyone on the Red Bull staff. I want to hear your stories for how you think the apology should have gone down. It's a big banner. We're sorry. Yeah. <laughs> they printed it out on a dot matrix printer with the old printer stuff. Well, that that, has that the, way that it could be the one long thing, right? You know. It's reserved just for the driver's use. Everybody else gets the nice large format printer with the glossy, glossy paper, but the drivers get the little dot matrix printer with the green and white lines all the way through it. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. 
And if I can think fast enough, I will remember what that printer program was that we used to use to make banners in the oldie days. But there was one specific program that allowed you to make the banners that white, that correct way. In ye olden days, huh? Ye olden days. Well, one of the other notable events. There, were, there was quite a few. We're not going to talk about all of them because a, it's been two weeks, and can b, we, there was a lot of them. Can we pause for just a second and mention okay. something? We have talked a lot about how hard it is to pass, how hard it is to get great racing, and you know all of these different things that are, you know, why Formula One is struggling and all these mm-hmm. different things. Can we just take a moment and admit we've had four incredible sit on the edge of your seat races like i haven't even taken a nap through any of them you know i i sh- if i had known you were going to go there i would have made the effort to get the recording of steve jones as he opened up the race for channel four two weeks ago of looking up at the sky begging to the racing gods to please, please make Baku every bit as spectacular as China was. And the racing gods honored his request. (laughs) Apparently. Um, I'm kind of wondering if he's going to do that this week for Barcelona. I I mean, seriously, we have had (laughs) races that are traditionally processional, Bahrain, boring, Bahrain, (laughs) and we've turned them all into... Something has happened. We've had people racing hard against each other, failed passes, in spectacular wrecks, some stupid wrecks. Um, But all of those things that go into making a really good season. But the one thing I can tell you is that for the past four races, and I fully expect that this afternoon will be no different, past four races, I've sat on the edge of my seat. We've come to the end of those races, and I've gone, (gasps) Every single time. I mean, it's like we've had good racing this year. Yeah, it, it, it's been, and we'll see if we can keep it up. I mean, it has not been the um, runaway hit eight, of well, eight race, eight winners in eight races kind of a thing. We haven't had that, but we've had <clears throat> what was it they said? It's ten winners in the last eleven races. I think that was the stat I heard. It might be kind of close to that. I don't think if that's quite what it is. But, but yeah. It, it We have had some. But of the four this year, we've had three different winners mm-hmm. in the four this year. So, yeah, it's not quite the 2012 season. But it's it's interesting. And it's nice to see that there are truly three teams that are vying for the top spots that are really looking good. You know, I don't know if I would quite say that the Red Bulls are there yet. They're getting close. They're close. But I don't think they're quite there yet. Well, I can assure you that the McLarens are not. So No, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but Sergio Perez get coming away with third and in the second straight year he ends up on a podium. I know. Um and he did this despite getting a five-second penalty uh, for being tangled up with Sergey Sorotkin at the t- at the start of the race. Correct. He got that five-second penalty. He served it during the safety car period. <laughs> there's going to be by the end of the season. There's going to be some serious looking at the rules around what can happen during the safety car period. You know, I don't, I mean, 
I got to say, Sergio drove an incredible race. He did well. He, lo- I mean, the top finishers all are on the podium because of sheer luck. I mean, we to, know that. To some extent, yeah. But the fact that we've had him get a podium despite having a five-second penalty that he served under safety car, which meant he didn't lose as much ground as he would have lost because everybody mm-hmm. was going slower. And then we had Melbourne where the safety, the virtual safety car allowed to Vettel to pass Hamilton, which seems against the spirit of the safety car concept, even though it was totally within the rules. I'm betting that we're going to start talking about the gray area of the safety car period. We will. Now, to be clear, this is a change because in the past, if you tried to pull to, to serve your, your five-second penalty during a safety car penalty, you'll get penalized. Jules Bianchi did this in 2014 in Monaco, and he got another five-second penalty for doing that. Oh, my. Um, but Charlie Whiting explained that drivers are now allowed to serve the time penalties because there's been a change in the interpretation of the rules. So what Charlie had to say is five seconds is five seconds whatever you do. It doesn't matter if it's done under safety car or what. It has to be done the next time the car comes into the pits. So whether he just waits five seconds and does a tire changes or, and does a tire change, five seconds is five seconds. It doesn't matter when it's done. Okay. Because of again, there originally was concern that it's less of an impact if it happens during a safety car period. But Sergio also avoided yet another penalty in that race. Now, this time, I, I, I think, was probably not his fault. Um, if you recall, and it was called out in, in the Channel 4 coverage. I don't know if the Sky ESPN coverage called it out. But at some point, the track's DRS detection system failed. Um, and drivers had to manually activate their DRS when they wanted to use it. Well, Sergio on... it. Well, actually, on two occasions, Sergio incorrectly activated his DRS. Um, The stewards ruled that this had been an error, but since he did not overtake any cars as a result of it, they did not assess a penalty. Um, Lance Stroll and Kevin Magnuson also were taken under investigation for doing the same thing. Uh, Both cleared of uh, of penalties for it. Well, I think that comes under the category of not gaining an advantage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lewis Hamilton got a little upset at Seb. I know, you're, you're amazed. You're stunned. Wait, hold on. Let me get over my shock. Um, he's upset over, um, Seb's tactics around the safety car and the restart. Mm. So what Lewis had to say, the rules are when the safety car goes, you're not allowed to start, stop, stop, start, stop. You're not allowed to gas and then brake. You're not allowed to fake the car behind. Because naturally, if there was not that rule, that's what you would do. And eventually, you catch them sleeping. You're not allowed to do that. You're allowed to weave. You're not allowed to start-stop. That's against the rules. And if you look at all the times every restart I've done, particularly the four I did last year, I didn't do that, and I've abided by that. In Australia, Sebastian accelerated, then brakes, and I nearly went up the back of him. Today he did it maybe four times. So 
Charlie responded. He said there was a little bit of a complaint from Lewis that Vettel was not going at a constant rate. But then when you look down the field, quite a few places where that happens. So I think to expect them all to go at one speed doesn't seem to happen. As long as no one does anything that's obviously dangerous, then I think we're happy with what happened. And I think he did control it rather well. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure because I agree with... that was with... the complaint that... Vettel had against Lewis last year was exactly. that he brake checked in. And exactly. then Vettel's, you know, anger management skills really took in, it took uh, front stage when he sideswiped Lewis as yeah. a result. So Lewis, in response to this, said that the stewards supposedly said that all the other cars are doing it, but we're the leaders. So cascades down. It's a domino effect. What the first car does, everyone does the same thing. What that does is now sets a precedent, so that means that everyone that's leading a Grand Prix under a safety car can start-stop. That goes down to Formula 2, Formula 3, Formula 4, because they're not going to get penalized. So I need to get that rectified when I have the briefing next, because clearly they don't care about it. And if that's the case, then we will see more of it. As I would expect that from Seb next time I'm racing him, if you noticed, I already put my car to the right to avoid a collision because he was starting and stopping. Otherwise, I would tuck in behind. Ah. Yeah. So, Lewis has been talking a bit about his win in Azerbaijan. Okay. And in many ways, I think that this is emblematic of his different relationship with Valtteri Bottas compared to Nico Rosberg. Or at least the fact that he just feels like sticking it to Nico whenever he gets the chance. Um, because um, he has talked about how this did not feel like a very satisfying win. Um, while he was happy to get the win and be up in the lead, it was felt a little hollow. Um, if you got to see the podium ceremony, which um, NBC, or not NBC, uh, ESPN cut away from, right. uh, Lewis was late to the podium. He was late to the podium because he went to go see Valtteri and talk to Valtteri before he went to the podium. Which is something I don't think you would have ever seen him do to Nico. Never would have seen him do to Nico, and he would have been bouncing around and celebrating and how awesome this is the whole time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Very different. I think that... I mean, Valtteri has driven well. Do not I'm misunderstand. Mm -hmm. He's had a very good season. He's been ahead of Lewis in several ways. He's outqualified Lewis. He's he's done well. But I think that there is something of a mentorship piece that's going on where Valtteri has not been a rival of Lewis's since they were children. Right. Valtteri is still growing up in the sport. And I think Lewis has a much more mentory relationship with Valtteri. Plus, I think Valtteri is kinder, if you think, in a way. I, I, I think while Valtteri pushes Lewis, he doesn't push Lewis as hard. Mm -hmm. So I, I think there's a point that Valtteri would step back and defer to Lewis, and he's made it clear that he would step back and defer to Lewis, where I don't think Nico ever would. Right. And I think that there's there's that that really helps the relationship. And, you know, that that's why last year, what was it, in Hungary, where Lewis pushed to get the, the position because Valtteri was struggling and said he'd give it back, and then actually did give it back. Yeah. 
which I think that that exchange alone, if you didn't know anything else about differences between the relationships, you could point to that one incident and say, there, Lewis has a different relationship with Valtteri than he ever had with Nico, because yeah. I don't think he would have ever given the space back. But then again, I don't necessarily know if Nico would have taken it. Because there were opportunities when Nico was claiming that he could go faster than Lewis, and Lewis is like, he's a second behind me. If he doesn't pull up here, I'm not giving him the space. Yeah. Um, let, let him let him get close enough, and then we'll talk. But I'm right. not just going to drop back and, you know, hand it to him. Right. So, speaking of safety cars and Seb, and so second safety car, come out of that whole situation – and Seb takes a run at from second place at Valtteri in first, going into turn one, overcooks it, and goes wide and loses several positions as a result of this. What was your thought on it? Did you have a thought on it? And I ask you this because Gary Anderson, who we have a lot of respect for, super, super sharp guy, been around in Formula One for gazillions of years he wrote uh, a column on autosport last week um taking seb to task for that move and claiming and saying that seb has learned nothing from singapore last year and there was no reason for him to do what he did and this is just another incident of the red mist falling over seb's eyes and impacting him interesting interesting you know, I I haven't read the article, yeah. but I will say that it wouldn't have crossed my mind because I thought that was a completely normal sub move. I mean... Well, I, I still go back to he saw the opportunity to try and take the lead, and he's not... If, if he think there's, thinks that there's a possibility for him to win a race, mm -hmm. and all the drivers are like this, if they think there's a possibility to win the race, they're not going to just go, oh, yeah, well, you know, there's only three laps left in the race, so I'll just settle for a second. It's cool. Even though, you know, I'm, I'm still in the lead for the championship if I do this, I'll just hang back, and it's fine. No, if they can win the race, they're going to try and win the race. Well, see, but that's the thing is, I think that there is something to be said for um, the better part of valor because, yeah, if you push – you have run a risk when you push like that with only a few laps left that you could make a mistake that's not recoverable from, a la what Seb did. Um, but, you know, we we chastised Valtteri a couple of races ago for not taking the opportunity against Seb. Seb had bad tires. Mm -hmm. Valtteri was on a little bit better tire at the end of that race. And there was a lot of people out there saying, well, Valtteri didn't take the opportunity when he had it. And, you know, that makes him a lesser eraser. But I've held, too, that he did the math in his head and said, okay, yeah, I might be able to take first, but I might screw it up. I've got second. Second is good because I'm going to come home in second. If he screwed it up and did it wrong, then he could have come home in ninth. And I think that that's a big, a, a big different defining factor here. Seb doesn't have that, that trigger in his head that says. Uh, I think the calculation is a little different in Seb's mind. Yeah. And again, Seb probably made the exact same calculation, but the difference was he thought he could pull it off. He mm -hmm. thought he had the car that was strong enough to do it. And honestly, if he had pulled it off, 
all anyone would have said is, wow, that was an amazing pass. How, how, uh, nobody would have turned around and said, oh, he shouldn't have tried it because the risk was too high and and he could have just thrown it. No one would have said that. So, I mean, you go, you have that risk. You're either a zero or a hero in Formula One. I mean, that's the way that works. But, you know, so he, he destroys his race by overcooking the turn. Valtteri winds up with a puncture. That's just, it's... And and that's the other thing, is that Seb had no way of knowing that that Valtteri was going to get knocked out in less than a lap later. Mm -hmm. Or the fact that even if he had gone and pulled that pass off, that he wouldn't have ended up in that spot and taken that piece of debris. I mean... I mean, there there was all of those things that you just, you don't know. And we know more sitting in our armchairs because we have the benefit of not being there at the time. And we can see a lot more than just that little sliver of view that comes out of the race helmet. Exactly. Speaking of heroes, you think he deserves it. Of all places, Sauber and Charles Leclerc and his 12 points. Wow. Now, what, what's notable about this, so Charles Leclerc, despite his name, is not French. No. He's from Monaco. I'm not going to try in Mono whatever it is. He's from Monique? Monaco. I think it's Monagasque. See, now Monogasque. you walked me into it. Yeah. Um, but what's notable there is that Charles Leclerc is only the second driver from Monaco to score points in a Formula One race. It has been 980 races since somebody from Monaco has scored points. And better than that, it was the first season of F1 in 1950 at the Monaco Grand Prix. The second race of the series um, where Louis Chiron finished third and brought home six points. Correct. Now, he started from the eighth grid spot because we have the big book of Formula The great big book of everything. The great big book of everything. Um, he started from eighth. Uh, he was in the Maserati that year, and it was the only race of the season that he drove in. And you remember back way back when, they, not all drivers drove in every race. Right. Um, so apparently 19 drivers started the Monaco Grand Prix and only seven finished because there was a lap one incident with Farina, who went on to win the championship that year. Um, he hit a spot um, and spun widely at Tebek, and the surface made wet by the sea dashing against the harbor wall. <laughs> so he hits a wet spot and took out 10 of the 19 drivers. Wow. On lap one. So lap one incidents are not new. Just let's see. Yeah, well, that we knew. Um, and then apparently Fangio, who won that race in an alpha, so alphas mm-hmm could make the distance at one point at one time they they were decent okay but this is the key he did it with a one-stop race every other car had to make two stops because they were supercharged engines and they needed more fuel (laughs) so the ferrari had a supercharged engine and needed two stops and finished a full lap down and another big comparison to 1950 to today you know we have a time limit on how long the race yeah two hours Fangio's Monaco win took him, it was 100 laps, 
And it took him three hours, 13 minutes, and 18.7 seconds. Yeah, I think the current Monaco Grand Prix is what, 50 laps or 55 laps? It's a lot short. I mean, it might be 70, um, but I thought it was closer to 50-something. Uh, let's see if I can find a, a recent one. 78. 78 laps, okay. Yeah, but 100 laps at 3.1 kilometers a lap for 197.5 miles race distance it was a sunny cool dry day by the way except for that one spot except for the one spot yeah <laughs> except for that one spot yeah yeah so that's the story of the other person from monaco who has ever scored points um it's been a few years and i'm sure that all of monaco celebrated their local boy coming home but you know what was really super cool about charles Leclerc winning points do you know who was in the garage when he did that? Um, Peter Sauber. Was he in in the garage? At, at... Yeah. See, I, I know he was there in, or he's there this weekend in Barcelona. I didn't know he went out to Russia, too. Uh, Abu Dhabi. You said Russia. We weren't in Sochi. Oh, we weren't in Abu Dhabi either. We were in Azerbaijan. That was it. We were in one of those A countries, not Russia. I knew we weren't in Russia. But yeah, no, Peter Sauber was, I believe Peter Sauber was there for his team. Now, his team currently has more points than McLaren. Yeah, and let's talk a little bit about that. But, just side note, this is every team Actually, has no, points. Actually, that, no, that is, I don't think that's correct. Have they changed? Have they no, changed? I don't think it's that there's more points than McLaren, more points than Williams. More points than Williams. Than Williams. Right. Williams but has been struggling. Every team has scored points this year. It's about time. M McLaren, McLaren has not been doing as well as they should, but they have been scoring points. That's true. So yeah, let let yeah, let's it's not. Williams that's yeah, it's, it's, it's Williams. But Sauber is ahead of somebody, so let's just give them credit for that. Um, but speaking of McLaren, yes. Um, do you recall the early incident? in Baku with Fernando's car um, that resulted in multiple punctures, ultimately, uh, and him struggling to bring the car in and hitting the pit wall on his way into the pits. Yes. We've got some more information, because Fernando, act, despite all of that, and, and, and him bringing that car back and dragging it around the track, he did even more damage to the car, but despite all of that, he got the car home and into the points. Well, the BBC got a chance to take a look at the damage that was done to the car during the race. Okay. It, it's fairly – now, they couldn't take any pictures. So all, all we could get was, was some descriptions about it. So uh, we know that the T-tray, so that's the part of the floor that sticks out under the driver's legs. It's there to help define the airflow under and around the sides of the car. In the front of this, there was a triangular hole about 30 centimeters by 20 centimeters, as well as significant damage to the leading edge, as if someone had set about it with a powerful hammer. Some of the heavy tungsten ballast that is stored in the floor was also missing. Back at the rear of the car, there was damage to the right-hand side of the floor all the way from the very back of the diffuser, the upward slope at the rear, to forward of the rear wheel. 
two sculpted curves on the right-hand side of the rear diffuser were gone. In front of the rear tire, two key aerodynamic shapers were missing too. It's what McLaren called a fence. It's a longitudinal curb and a spat, a sort of vertical rectangular scoop shape. According to Eric Bouillet, the damage cost 20 points of downforce, more or less, so half a second a lap. Wow. So despite all of this, after changing tires in the front wing, Fernando returned to the race and lapped faster than Stoffel Van Dorn on all but a handful of laps. Whoa. So for more about this and talking to, to Eric Bouillet about how he got the car back into the pits, uh, what Bouillet said was the front tire deflated straight away after turn three, and then it takes some time before you lose the tire from the rim. The right rear tire, or, or the, yeah, the right rear tire deflated, I think, around turn 15. You can see from the television footage that entering the pit lane, the car is not drivable, and actually he hit the pit wall on the right-hand side. At that stage, he told us after he did not know how to bring the car to the pit. He didn't know if the car would steer. He just tried to go straight on the fast lane, and he thought he would leave it there and we would take it out of the race. At the last minute, he turned and the car steered into the pit stop bay. We made a joke with him and said it was the best positioning of the weekend. He said, let's change the tires in front wing and go. He said, from the pit wall, I saw these flames all around the floor. The car was on fire. Now, McLaren couldn't see all the damage because the front floor is hidden by the aerodynamic shapers hidden behind the tires. So after they checked that the car was structurally sound and safe, they sent Fernando back out with new tires in the front wing. Um, he said they, he spent a couple of laps asking what they could see from the data, whether they needed him to change any settings. And it turned out that while he lost a lot of downforce and was theoretically slower, it felt okay to drive. So Eric went on to say, actually, the car was still more or less balanced, strangely. The reason was there was this big hole in the front floor. So we lost downforce at the front and rear, so the car was not very well balanced, but it was still drivable. He didn't complain about anything, not even drivability. So maybe this is McLaren's <laughs> new new uh, design? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, beat the snot out of the car and, and, and go. Wow. Well, I think that is just further confirmation that Fernando can outdrive his car. Oh, absolutely. And I have, I've been down on Fernando, and I freely admit that I'm down on Fernando, but he does overdrive his cars. Yeah. Now, even though Alonzo finished, well, not even though, Alonzo finished two places ahead of Van Dorn, and his lap time was 0.521 seconds faster than Van Dorn in a car that should have been half a second slower. Okay, our flying waffle needs to start flying better. Yeah, especially since McLaren has another young prodigy waiting in the wings. Uh-oh. Yeah. All right, Stoffel. Yeah, Lando Norris is waiting That's in right. the wings. Totally named for Star Wars. Now, the Toro Rosso struggled. Yes, they did. Really, all I wanted to call out here was the comment from Pierre Gasly that said that the Honda engine is not the only reason for the Toro Rosso slump. <laughs> okay. That that's that that's that's all I you know because remember everything was supposed to be rainbows and lollipops over there too because you know Honda was gonna was turned it around and everyone was was doing so great and. Yeah, well, well, now maybe the Honda is part of the problem. But it's not the only part of the problem. 
No, it's not the only part of the problem. In theory. Remember, there's unicorns and sparkles. Yeah. So while you were gone, after the race, but while you were gone, uh, the League of Super Evil met. Yes, they did. Actually, we, we could play the music. It's been a while. We haven't heard it. <laughs> Is it still a League of Super Evil if they don't have Barney? They will always be the League of Super Evil for as long as Ferrari has veto power, if not beyond that, or it just, you know, it feels like entertaining. Who is me. the little short red uh, character in League of Super Evil? Baltar. Is he like Ferrari? Because he's red. Maybe. And small. Maybe. And full of ego. Maybe. Well, they met to, as we had discussed in our previous show, to discuss potential aerodynamic changes for 2019 to make the racing better, to allow for passing, to fix all of the problems that everybody who doesn't know anything about aerodynamics said that they were going to have a problem with when they started with these cars. Yes, to fix all of the problems that they caused because they didn't do this. Well, the vote was apparently not unanimous. And it has to be, doesn't it? Uh, no, they passed it. Okay. They still passed it anyway. Uh, I think just because of where we are in the season, they can get away with changes for next year without being unanimous. But I think they had to be, they had to have it settled either by the end of April or the end of May. I don't remember which. So the changes that that were voted through: a simplified front wing with a larger span and less outwash potential. So in other words, more air will be directed inside the front wheels rather than outside them. Uh, also approved simplified brake ducts with no winglets and wider and deeper rear wing. So the expectation is that, yes, cars will be allowed to um, race closer, in theory, thereby making it easier for them to pass each other or give them a chance to pass each other. However, it sounds like this may also have the other side effect of making the cars slower again. That's not necessarily a problem because, quite frankly, no one can tell the difference between five miles an hour on the track well, if they can pass each other. I agree with that to a point. I, I agree with everything over on the speed and, and whether or not somebody can tell whether it's five miles faster. But... Sebastian Vettel and his comments this week when he was asked about it, this is where I think he, where, where I disagree with everything that's happening here because of what Seb is about to say. Seb said, I find it a bit comical. In 2009, we went, let's go less aerodynamics and better racing and so on. I think it didn't change too much. Then we said, the cars are too slow. Let's put more aerodynamics and make them wider, more spectacular. And now we want to make them slower again. It's a bit like cruising to America and changing direction 100 times. <laughs> and he's right. It's this whole thing of, well, maybe the racing isn't that great, so let's tweak this. Well, maybe, well, well no, that's really not fixing anything, so let's tweak this. And we made it faster. We're not addressing the, necessarily the root cause of the problem. Now, whether or not the cars are slower, if the racing gets better from these changes, okay, it's finally the right move. I don't know if this is enough to resolve the issues. That's my question. Well, I think Seb's point is that the pendulum keeps swinging both, you know, either direction. 
And I think that that's part of trying to figure out the magic formula and the secret sauce. But keep in mind, this is this is a living series and they are constantly having to combat and level the playing field because every team is constantly getting better. If we went back in time and said that the rules that got set up in 1950 are the rules today, can you imagine what the speed and where we would be with these cars? We well, had to evolve the rules to evolve with technology. Yes, but based on the video that I've seen, if we went back to the 1950s rules, the Monaco Grand Prix would be a lot more exciting. Yes, but our cars <laughs> would only be a meter wide. <laughs> the cars would only be a meter wide, and they could do three across on the roads in Monaco. Yes. Um, which could be very interesting. Three wide into the hairpin at Monaco. I know craziness um and pirelli's tires would not be as uh big of a factor because the tires back then were kind of like glorified bicycle tires and we might have two minute pit stops see there's your difference the driver would have a chance to step out of the car get a drink smoke yeah and then hop back in by the way speaking of rules spare cars Spare cars. Remember could be, Martin Brundle? Yes. Run, I mean, that wasn't that long ago. Martin Brundle running. About 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. Running across to go get into the spare car so he could keep racing. Yes. Um, speaking of rules and questions about rules uh, possibly being interpreted creatively, mm-hmm. Ferrari, it was noticed, found an interesting loophole in, the, in these rules. So the floor of the car. And when, when I'm talking to floor, I'm not just talking about um, the part of the car that is inside the cockpit, but the whole uh, floor of the car all the way out to the rules outside the bodywork. Technically, the way the rules are written, by the strictest of strictest interpretations, um, you are not allowed to put any kind of holes, fins, vents, or whatever in on the floor. You can't punch any kind of holes in the floor. You can't direct airflow through the floor. This was because a couple of years ago they realized that there's a lot of aerodynamic advantage to be gained if you do it right, but because it costs a lot of money to research to get to do it right, they banned this type of activity. But the way the rule was written said that you couldn't have um, these holes and these vents in the floors based on the size of the floor so like within 40 centimeters of the body kind of a thing so that way it allows the very edge of the floor you can do teeth and things like that 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 that's allowed however when the we changed to the current rules we made the cars wider wider. we made the floors wider ferrari figured this out folks spotted this in azerbaijan that there are now holes and vents in the Uh, in the floor of the Ferrari outside of the restricted area on the floor. (laughs) Because of the fact that Ferrari Mercedes was under their car with a drill bit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if these are going to work, but we're just going to start punching them. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. You know, that's the thing. You know, I, I have to say, Every person that ever finds out how much of an Uber fan I am about Formula One 
um, always looks at me because I don't look like I should be a fan. I'm a girl. I don't know a whole lot about cars. Engines baffle me. I don't know how they work. You know, but they, I, I don't look like your average race car fan, I don't think. Okay. Um, and, I mean, I often get the, you know, I don't, I don't watch any sport ball, but give me four wheels and a single-seater car, and I can't take my eyes off of it. And everybody's, you, really? But this is the stuff that just absolutely intrigues me. It's Adrian Newey going in and looking at the edge of the rules and finding that gray area that's like within second, you know, within that hair's breadth of the edge of the rules and says, oh, hey, the car's got five centimeters wider. That means that we can do this in that space because they didn't change that piece of the rules and constantly looking for the the loopholes to to be honest with you um i can't believe it took the teams this long to find that one yeah but it's that stuff that just fascinates me i i love it i love the fact that at one point you know we were talking about whether or not uh red bull could change their suspension could the driver change the suspension within the cockpit of the car and that was a big, you know, like, does it have enough flex and everything like that? Yeah. It was within tolerance of the rules with the giant air quotes around it. Um, you know, the blown diffuser. I mean, that is that stuff is brilliant. And yeah, it becomes banned the next year because of whatever. But it's the fact that somebody said, I want to exploit this area of this rule and what will it gain me? Yeah. And does it gain me enough to make it worth my while, and then they have an off-the-chart season because of it. I mean, that's the stuff that you got to fall in love with Formula One for. So moving forward, it's a Spanish Grand Prix. And no, we haven't made it that far yet. <gasps> We're not there yet. Other discussions that have been going on. Uh, Ross Braun is pushing, along with the FIA and Charlie Whiting, to do away with grid penalties for gearbox changes. Um, I don't quite know how this is going to work. They still want to have, like, a pool of gearboxes. I think the thought is that if you can reuse a gearbox at any point in the season, you wouldn't run afoul of the rules. But if you had to go outside of that pool for some reason, that then it might happen. Okay. But... Yeah, I don't know. They're working on that one for 2021. They want to make uh, grid penalties go away for gearbox issues. Um, F1 has announced a new deal. If you're wondering what happened to Will Buxton, he is still around. He is now working directly for Formula One Group, uh, doing his normal media punditry stuff but specifically for Formula One Group. So he's going to all the races. You see him do some of the pre- and post-race interviews and the world feed, things of that nature. But his Paddock Pass program that he used to do for NBC Sports, mm -hmm. um, he's been doing it the last couple of races. It's been available on Formula One's YouTube channel, which we mentioned after race one. It's the first time his mom has been able to see his work. Right. Um, it is now also going to be broadcast post-race on Twitter. Okay. So you can catch Will Buxton and Paddock Pass over on Twitter. The drivers have been calling for the safety car to go faster. 
They've been saying that for a long time. Yeah, and Charlie Whiting says no. Naturally. Yeah, he says, it's a continuous request from drivers to make the safety car faster. Not just to be driven faster, but to make it a faster car. He says, every year we try and make it a little bit faster, but how fast do you want to go? The thing's there to slow them down. <laughs> they all complain about cold tires and cold brakes, but it is the same for everybody, and they just have to drive accordingly. Afterwards, if they've got less grip, then they have to drive a little slower till they get more grip. I know it's probably not pleasant for drivers to have to deal with that, but it's meant to slow them down and control the cars. This is why we use the safety car. For example, past the marshals when they are recovering Grosjean's car, we couldn't rely upon the drivers to go that slowly past the incident. That's what the safety car is there for. <laughs> we can't trust you drivers. That's the truth. It's there to make you go slower. We're not going to make it go faster. <laughs> Uh, we mentioned, what, two races ago, the graphics that were starting to show up on the Halo? Mm -hmm. Uh, looks like they're here to stay. Okay. Um, Formula One is experimenting with other things that they can put on the Halo, but they've realized that that is some, some real dead space, and they can leverage that in productive manners. Now, some of the teams might not appreciate this since they're realizing that, hey, this is also really good advertising space, or we can put the driver's name on there or something like that. They have said, or Formula One has said that they are not changing their graphics and the graphics package they intend to place on the Halo in order to accommodate the teams putting graphics on the Halo. <laughs> now, we, I know of at least one person who is going to be really excited about this next piece. Okay. Formula One announced this year, or, or this past week, after a five-year absence from uh, race venues, FanVision is returning. Yay! So for those of you that don't know what FanVision is, um, FanVision was in Formula One until 2012. NASCAR has been using it since 2006. Basically, this is a portable um, display that fans can carry around and watch uh, the world feed, uh, driver video, all of the various stuff that's going on at the race without having to rely on whatever they happen to put up on the big screen that they may or may not be able to see. Mm -hmm. but this is for trackside use. You get audio, you get commentary, all of that stuff. Um, after a five-year absence, because Bernie killed this deal, mm -hmm. FanVision is coming back. Didn't you also send me a note that said FanVision was apparently the competitive bid? Well, I'm going to get to that. Oh, okay. I'm going to get to that. Because our next story is about new tracks oh. and new races. And if you have not heard the news, you know, we heard the rumors that something was going on in Miami, that they're sniffing around down there. Uh, we know that at some time this year there's going to be an F1 live event down in Miami, which we'd initially heard was just to gauge enthusiasm and overall reaction to F1 returning to Miami. Well, a proposal was put in place uh, at the Miami City Council, sponsored by three council members for Miami to host a Grand Prix in 2019. Now, it only needed three votes to win, mm -hmm. and the mayor didn't get a vote. Okay. So let's think about this. Three council members brought forth this proposal. 
that only needed three votes to win. So it was going to You had win. to know this was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> this was the thing. So it has been approved. We've also seen in the last two weeks the proposed uh, track layout for a race in Miami. Yeah. I don't like the proposed track. Uh, you know— the problem is there's not a whole lot of space. So where they're planning on putting this uh, is it's going to run, if you're familiar with Miami, uh, around the park where American Airlines Arena sits, down part of Biscayne Boulevard, uh, across it looks like the bridge to Dodge Island where the cruise ships are, loop back across that bridge to, to Biscayne Boulevard. Basically, this is a lot of long straights. And some tied together with a couple of hairpins and a very small twisty bit. That's it. I don't even think there's actually a real twisty bit. There's a couple of 90-degree corners and the long straight with a hairpin. There, there's a roundish area that's over by the arena because it goes around the arena. A roundish area. It's a roundish area. Yeah. It, it, it's like um, um, the Grand Tours isn't straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I won't say that this is a very good track layout. I would not want to see this in a necklace. Let's put well, it that way. The, yeah, you wouldn't want to see this in a necklace. What I have heard has been part of the inspiration for this and what they are hoping for is that uh, they get something similar to Baku because Baku does have a lot of super long straights tied together with 90-degree turns. And... As we have seen, it's actually given some really good racing. So I think that's and, – and that's what somebody had said is they're hoping that, that some of the inspiration comes from Baku and they get some good racing out of it. So far, Lewis Hamilton is not really thrilled with it, but yeah. But as for the overall plot, so the three guys who – the three council members who were involved in – putting this proposal together that went to the city council. They were also instrumental in bringing Formula E to the city. Now, granted, Formula E was only there for one year and hasn't been back. But they're instrumental in that. But there's more to it than that. So there is a link between Liberty Media and Miami itself. And that is the intended promoter for the event. That is billionaire Stephen Ross. Stephen Ross is the owner of the Miami Dolphins, and he's one of the biggest financial players in town and has the ear of local government. There's more to this. He's the owner of RSE Ventures, which is an investment company whose sporting interests include International Champions Cup Soccer Tournament, uh, which has attracted top European clubs, including Barcelona, Real Madrid, Man City, Chelsea, Juventus, Bayern Munich, and PSG. That contest is backed by major Formula One sponsor, Heineken. Steven Ross also owns FanVision. Okay. So now we go back to our previous story. Um, it'll be returning under the name of F1 Vision. Got it. Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting timing. Very, very interesting. Stephen Ross also, if you'll recall, two years ago, three years ago, put up a competing bid for Formula One against what Liberty Media had put forth. 
Right. Which is what I would alluded Yeah, that to was right. your connection as well. So. They're also talking about, while we're talking about uh, new races, they're also looking in uh, Southeast Asia into a Vietnam race. Yeah, I'm a bit surprised by that. I, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I, well, yeah, we'll see what comes out. I, I guess Red Bull had an event last week. In um, Ho Chi Minh City. In Ho Chi Minh City that was very well attended. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's but, the primary, and I don't remember if they, if they even said who it was, but the primary sponsor for it's a Vietnam race is in Ho Chi Minh City. Yeah. But the race is being talked about to be in Hanoi. Yeah. Um, and that's all I know about that. So we have now shared. As early in the season as it is, and you got to admit, it's early. Would you believe it is already? I can't. It's silly season. That's our silly season music? That's that's always been our silly season music. Our silly season music was the circus music. No, the circus music was um that was Honda. That was McLaren and Honda. I get so every, confused. Every time that there was an excuse from McLaren and Honda together, that was the circus music. Okay. I get so confused. Because they're they're all just ridiculous. Yes. We have so many theme songs. Well, since we had to bring up Honda, we have confirmation that Honda and Red Bull have had their first formal meeting over engine supply. And if this shocks anybody, you have not been paying any attention. Well, in a way, it does kind of shock me, you know, just hearing Pierre Gasly say, well, you know, the car sucks and it's not only Honda's fault. I mean... (laughs) Well, yeah, but still, um, you had to know that the long-term plan- game plan of this was that they were going to go to Toro Rosso this year, and Red Bull was going to be looking to try to kick Renault to the curb because they know that they want to be a works team for somebody. We do, and the thing to, to keep in the back of your mind, you know, we're recording this on May 13th. The deadline for confirming your engine supplier for 2019. Now, we've, we've seen some, some leeway on this, but the deadline for confirming this is May 15th. Mm. So potentially, we could have an announcement soon. I don't know if that's actually going to happen. Um, and again, we saw with McLaren and Honda when that fell apart, um, they were able to stretch it a whole lot later, and we've seen teams stretch it a whole lot later. So maybe they'll just make the whole separation from Renault super bloody so that they can get around this deadline. True. But the official deadline is May 15th. Okay. Also silly season, Carlos Sainz has initiated or well actually i don't know if it's carlos or reno has initiated but there has been initiation of contract talks at reno for carlos Sainz. really so he won't be on loan forever well we don't know and and this is this thing carlos says that he feels a bit exposed at this point because truly his future with reno hinges on daniel ricardo 
mm-hmm. because the the terms of the deal that Red Bull established with Renault for this loan is if Daniel Ricardo leaves and goes anywhere, Carlos gets the call. Right. So if Carlos goes under a, a contract with Renault, is that clause going to be allowed to remain? Or will Renault negotiate something with Red Bull saying, no, 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 he needs to stay put? Now, granted, who is Red Bull going to take? Because Gasly's not ready to move up. Gasly's not even close. And Hartley's not, I don't see Hartley ever going to Red Bull. Not if he doesn't figure out how to drive. Um, and you know, stop breaking his car. I I, I think un- unfortunately, Brendan Hartley's proving or, or justifying why he was cut from Toro Rosso nine ten years ago. Yeah. So here's the thing: Red Bull. If Red Bull can figure out how to sign a contract with Daniel, then the likelihood that they would call Sainz up at any point in the near mm-hmm. future is negligible. So that would mean him signing with Renault would be a really good plan. If Daniel's domino tips, signs would get the call because that makes the most sense for the next call up to happen. Right. And then then you have to go with the dominoes from there. But it's what happens to Daniel. A lot of what's going to happen this season is going to hinge on Daniel, much like a lot of things that are going to happen as far as Ferrari goes, will hinge on whether or not Kimi renews. So I have a very special message for Dr. Helmut Marco. Oh, okay. Because you need to get some drivers back into your development program and have them ready to go to feed up through your farm system and into Toro Rosso and hopefully into Red Bull, really you need to be looking to America. Stingray Rob is waiting <laughs> for your call. <laughs> you just want to see Stingray Rob's name up there on. How awesome would that be? That would be very funny. Coming out of like European Formula 2. Yes. <laughs> but he's in the Mazda Road to Indy program, so. I don't know if he's made it that far yet. I mean, he he's in the 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 development program, but I don't, because I think Mazda Road to Indy is the last series before you hit IndyCar, and I don't think he's in that one. No, Indy Lights is the series. Indy Lights. He's not in Indy Lights. I thought he was in, but I don't think he was in uh, Whatchamaduel 2000. Formula 2000? Is that the one that happens before? Yeah. I don't think I he think was I think that's there. where he is. I thought he was up in Ma- in the Mazda series. No, he's not up in Indy Lights. He no. hasn't made it to Indy Lights. There's Mazda? There's the Mazda series. Then Pro Indi- Mazda. Pro Mazda. As that's where I think he's at. Yeah. But yes. then there's like Formula 2000 that's like yeah. lower than that. I don't think he was in the lowest of this series. Okay. But we watched him multiple times. Yes. We'll see him again this year. Barcelona is this week. And you know what Barcelona means? Spanish Grand Prix? Yeah, there's that too. Um, um, it's the return to the hospitality trailers. You know, it's it's all the road stuff. But also, this is the time all of the teams, well, especially the struggling teams, go, wait until Barcelona. Barcelona is going to be our big update package. And if you're McLaren, Barcelona is going to be where we have our tw- – that, that's where you're going to see our the real 2018 car. 
That's it. We are going to just jump ahead. Well, we saw it. And Fernando Alonso says, yeah, the other teams are still in another league compared to us. They have a new nose. It has nostrils. Yeah, it's a triple nostril nose. It has nostrils. Yeah, I think that was the biggest change is uh, the front wing itself. But I also, I think they put some other fins and stuff on the side pods, which I don't recall being there in the past. Um, Yeah, this ain't it either. (laughs) Which, interestingly enough, so Autosport did an article, and I think you had to be a premium subscriber in order order to see it. Um, Before the weekend had even started, they said, yeah, we're not expecting much to come out of this. Um, and the reason why is they apparently they, they tracked for the last 20-plus years performance on the previous flyaway races compared to Barcelona when everyone says they're going to bring their stuff. And, yeah, historically, teams don't bring that much more performance. Combined. Yeah, they may bring upgrade packages of some sort, mm-hmm. but it's never this big jump that everyone wants to to make it look like it's really just it's a talking point touch point touchstone just like coming out of uh winter testing and you have a crappy winter test and they go just wait till the start of the season the season's going to start we're going to get to australia and it's going to be a whole different thing it that the same kind of thing well you got to think about development cycles too because if melbourne exposed a flaw that they need to correct for Mm mm-hmm that flaw cannot be solved for by Barcelona. And that you don't have enough time. You might see it by the end of the European season. You may need you may see it over the next few races, but also keep in mind that these changes are iterative and they come in little dribs and drabs. You know, they they bring a new wing, they bring a new this, yeah. they, they try this in a test period, it doesn't work, then we'll see it three races from now reworked. Um, so, yeah, we're going to bring a big upgrade package. Well, that big upgrade package could be two wings. I mean, it could be two little winglets somewhere on the car that you may not even notice. But that, and so you got to kind of get perspective. There's a lot of marketing hoo-ha with this that's not real. That's, you know, highly technical. Yeah, well, it's also so that they don't, yeah, that's it. We we screwed this car up and, you know, you don't want to admit that. You don't want to admit that by season or or by race three. You mean like where Williams is right now? Yeah. um, Because uh, Force India admitted, you know, we made a fundamental mistake in the car and they fixed it. They figured out what it was and fixed it. I don't think Williams has figured out what this is yet. No, they haven't. And um, Robert Kubica was back in the car this weekend. I think this was like the first time he has driven this car since testing. And his comments is that basically the car sucks. Mm. It's not an easy car to drive. It is not a happy car to drive. He doesn't like it. Ooh. Yeah. Maybe they inherited the diva of the Mercedes car. No, I don't even think it's a matter of the diva. I think they just got this outright wrong. Um, and instead of stepping forward, they have backslid dramatically, and uh, it doesn't speak well for their future. It does not. So to happier subjects. Yes. Well, maybe happier for some people. Do you remember years upon years upon years ago, 
that when we got to enjoy the um, driving stylings of one Pastor Maldonado. Yes. That somebody spun up the Has Pastor Crashed Today website. Yes. So you could find out whether or not Pastor got into an accident or not. And And gave a countdown to like how many days it had been since his last crash. Yes. Often with some snarky thing about, but just give it time. Yeah. Um, Well, Max Verstappen has earned his own website at crashstappen.com. Oh. Oh. Yeah. You are now relegated to the likes of Crashy McCrasherson Maldonado. Yeah, and he wasn't the one that I thought was going to get the site next. I really thought it was going to be Lance Stroll. You are so negative to Stroll. It's not even funny. Can you blame me? Yes, I can. You haven't even given the boy a chance. You have judged him by his daddy's it's been money. Two, it's you, been two years. It has I've not given been him two a chance. years. He was new last year. It's been a season and a half. It's not he even has been a not... season and a half. It's been a season and four races. How how has he shown me that he is not deserved of my scorn in this <laughs> season is... and four races to make you happy? The problem is that you scorned him from the beginning. Oh, I know. That's right. It's not his fault. It's the car's fault. He doesn't suck as bad as the car. See? There you go. Thank you so much for giving him that. He's driving a car that is undrivable. Even Kabitza said it's undrivable. And you still want to lay it at Stroll's lap. You are judging him by his daddy's money. And he is not appreciative of your narrow-mindedness. If Fernando was in this car... It would still suck. Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) He'd be sunning himself up on the cliff at uh, Barcelona. Yeah. I'd rather be anywhere but here. Yeah. Speaking of Max, um, Max uh, had a court case come out in his favor. Oh, okay. Yeah, a Dutch online supermarket was ordered to pay Max 150,000 euros in damages for using a lookalike of him in one of their videos. Uh-oh. So the was incident he crashing? No, no. But the incident occurred uh, in 2016 when the online supermarket Picnic put a video online that was meant as a funny take on a commercial that Max had made for his own personal sponsor, Jumbo, which is a big supermarket chain in the Netherlands. So uh, when Max's management caught wind of this, as in Yas, uh, when they caught wind of this, they demanded the video get taken down immediately, and Picnic quickly complied to this request, but they still, there was still a court case that was launched with Verstappen asking for 400,000 euros in damages. The court rep- ruled that uh, they needed to pay him 150,000 euros for a breach of personality rights, which Max was satisfied by the outcome. Now, okay. his position is, you know, you, you've got to maintain this stuff. He's got personal sponsors, and especially since this is a competitor to one of his personal sponsors, this wasn't cool. No, it was not cool. Yeah. While we're talking about trademarking and personal sponsors and images. F1, we just got word of this a few weeks ago, but the the actual action occurred last year. 
F1 has filed and been granted a trademark with the World Intellectual Property Organization for the word shooey. So we probably can't say it anymore, can we? Well, no. The registration is only for one category, but it covers flasks, glasses, bottles, mugs, sculptures, and figurines. But not my shoe. Not your shoe by itself. Possibly using your shoe. Well, this is the weird thing about this, and, and I don't quite understand how they got away with it. So this isn't unique to Daniel Ricardo. Daniel Ricardo didn't start this practice. Right. It's been a popular celebration in Australia for around 15 years thanks to surfing and fishing brand The Mad Kiwis. Dean and Sean Harrington, known as the face of the brand, have been quoted saying they drank Shoeys as early as 2002. As the Mad Hueys accelerated in popularity, more personalities got in on the act, with Daniel just being one of the latest. And one of the first racers who drank from a shoe was supercar rider David Reynolds when he won the first non-endurance race of his career in 2015. It got a boost in exposure the following year when Australian MotoGP rider Jack Miller celebrated his first Premier Class victory by drinking champagne out of his shoe at Assen in the Netherlands. And I believe that's it was because of that specific incident was where Daniel did it. Mm-hmm. So how is it that they got a trademark for this? So, but it's on specifically on figurines, mugs, and things like that. So, I'm wondering if this is a licensing, not a licensing deal, but something for something that they're going to be putting online to be selling for a, a product. And, and I would assume so. I don't know why you'd want to buy this product. Um, the The trademark has been granted, has been registered in 25 countries, including the United States, Germany, Italy, France, and the United Kingdom, and it came into a force into force on January 4th this year. Interesting. Yeah. I I don't quite understand how they got permission for this. But it's just on figurines. So they've got to be doing something that they're going to be selling in the store. Yeah. That they don't want people copying. So, you know, there's going to be a mug that says, I'm using a mug instead of a shoey or something like that. Something like that. So... That's all we had this week. Can we go watch the race now? Yes, it is time to go watch the Spanish Grand Prix. I want to see the Spanish Grand Prix. You you know that that picture is going to be showing up in all kinds of highlight reels for the rest of the year. Will it be our picture for this post? Potentially. (laughs) All right. Well, with that, we should probably call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. (laughs) A little break? Okay.